Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. See it again if we haven't yet met. Uh, my name is Brad, and I am our discipleship pastor here at our Mackenzie campus. And it's my pleasure today to, to welcome you to church as well. As Susan said, everyone's welcome at Gateway. But I reckon it's important just to give you a little insight, a little update into something that's going on in the life of our household, the Case household right now. We, like the rest of Australia, have done the dumbest thing. We've just bought a house. <laughs> we, spent, we spent actually over 12 months uh, looking for a place. We put offers on 11 houses and got rejected from 11 before the 12th one, lucky number 12, we finally got the house we were looking for. Uh, thank you. It's, oh, I wasn't expecting a round of applause. It's definitely been a hard season trying to get that to work, but we're now experiencing the joys of home ownership. Oh, you can hear the chuckle in the room. Leaks through the ceilings, light switches that don't work. Light switches, you flick it, you have no idea where it comes on. Uh, the joys of home ownership and the joys of crushing debt. Uh, but one of the real joys of having our own place is we've got a deck that we love to invite people to come and have dinner on uh, from time to time. And we had our life group over for the first time and I was really excited. Really excited that our life group can come spend time at our house. There's a lot going on in our life group at the moment. Five out of six of us, uh, of the couples in a life group, all bought houses in the last kind of 18 months or so. There's a lot of change going on. So we wanted to have everyone over to celebrate everything that's going on. And I said, why don't you come over after church? Uh, come after, we'll leave from here, we'll go and have a visit and go check it all out. So I said, I'm going to give you the direction. See, we're going to leave the, the uh, church here, we're going to go up the driveway, we're going to turn left at the top, we're going to get to the end of that little kind of dogleg road you've got there, we're going to turn right at the end of the road and get to the lights and wait for a minute because those lights take forever. We're going to turn right up Macrovac and Palabar Road, past the service station. We're going to go over the hill, then down the hill again. As we go down the hill, you're going to come towards the traffic lights at the bottom, but don't go through them because you might get a red light camera flash if you're going too fast. Everyone here knows that red light camera, right? Don't go through the lights. Turn left onto the gateway. Go up the gateway motorway for about three and a half K. Then you want to take the, the exit, but make sure you don't take the Rochdale exit. Make sure you take the Pacific Highway exit because there's a little bit of confusion there. Take that and you're going to travel along the Pacific for about another 5K. And this is where it gets really tricky. You're going to have to take the exit 5Ks down the road and then you're going to have to come back. I do a bit of a dog leg around a roundabout. So you're coming back the way you just came up the side street. Bit of a weird little thing there. You get to do that. You get to a, round, a set of traffic lights. You've got to turn left go across the bridge you just went under. Oh. Then you've got to turn around the curves around to the left, get to the, tra- the, the, the next roundabout and take the third exit to the right. And you're going to go around the bend, up past the specialty store there, up the street for about another kilometre. You get to the end of that road. The traffic lights there will probably tell you to stop, but don't go through them. Go left instead. You're going to go past all kinds of things. You're going to go past a barber shop. You're going to go past another specialty goods store, a pet barn. You're going to go past a German sausage place, which I'm super keen to try out at some stage. And then there's a chemist. At the chemist, you want to turn left. And this is our street, about half way down, you'll arrive in our driveway and boom, boom, you'll be at our place. Or instead of doing that, I could have just taken the leaf out of Jesus' book and said, come follow me, <laughs> right? I love that in Mark's gospel, uh, he, be- he begins in chapter one by calling his first disciples. And he says these three simple words, come follow me. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Come, follow me. Jesus doesn't give the instructions about what fishing for people actually looks like or how they'll actually do that work. He doesn't give a big vision or a big strategy or tell them the philosophy they need to work to to make this come to pass. He doesn't give them the steps they have to take. He doesn't prepare them with every, everything they will need, every new technique, every new thing they need to have in their toolkit to make this come to pass. He simply says, come follow me. It's important for us as we hear the words, come follow me, to grasp how much this would have meant to those young disciples. When we just casually read Mark's account of this, we don't grasp it. We just fly past it. But these words for these fishermen in ancient Israel would have been the world to them. See, from the age of five, Jewish boys would be taught in the synagogue. At this stage of the education is called uh, Bet Safar. And here, the whole premise of the education system in Jewish culture is they would stuff as much information and knowledge and experience about God and who he is, about his people, about uh, the story of their people, the history of where they've lived, and the traditions of their people. By the age of 10, it was not uncommon for Jewish boys to know everything in the first five books of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch, they called it. That's a lot of the Torah. That's a lot of information to memorize and know off by heart. Every Jewish boy would be invited into that space. And from the age of 10 then, uh, the boys could continue on. They could continue on in the synagogue with their studies of the Talmud under the the leadership of a rabbi, a teacher who would bring them under their wing and begin to teach them more, teach them about their histories, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, the Proverbs, uh, pretty much all we know of the Old Testament, they would begin to immerse themselves in and marinate in the story of God. By the end of this, bright Jewish boys could have pretty much memorized all of the Old Testament. That blows my mind. See, about 15 or so, if you're a 15-year-old boy like me, there's no way you could have memorized that. I have enough trouble remembering what to pack my lunch to come to work every day. I would have washed out at this stage, and most Jewish boys did. The education system, they would would leave that, and they would go back to their families, and they would begin to apply their family trade. They'd begin to put their hands to the work of their family to help provide for their family and provide support uh, for their community. However, the brightest of the Jewish students would be invited to continue their study, not just in the synagogue, but under the personal tutelage of a rabbi. They would begin their teaching in the Midrash, applying the teachings of the Old Testament and debating with their rabbi how that would actually be outworked in their everyday. They would follow their rabbi all around and listen to what they would teach, listen to how they would debate the law and be immersed in the following of this rabbi. They would live closely under their teachings, learn from him about how to live their life as he lived his life. They would model their whole life, their existence after their rabbi, hoping that one day they too would become a rabbi and call some disciples of their own. So what does this tell us about Simon, who would also be called Peter later on, his brother Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee? Well, they're on the beach with their nets and they're teenagers. See, they're fishermen working in the family business. This tells us that they're not the best or the brightest Israel has got to offer. They flunked out of school. They're the dropouts. 
Uh, they're the rejects from the Jewish education system. Uh, at, at some stage, they've given up the hope of ever being personally called by a rabbi to come follow him, which was one of the highest honors in Jewish society. So here they are at their nets, mending them, getting ready for another day's fishing. And suddenly along comes a rabbi. But not just any rabbi, a rabbi whose name is getting around the countryside because of all the healings and miracles he's been doing across all of Judea. And he comes up to them and simply says, come follow me. There's no test. There's no required explanation of why, he flunked, why they'd flunked out of school. There's no scholarship fund needed to, to do this thing. There's no age limit, no permission given by parents. And remember, they are um, not yet marrying age. They're teenagers at this stage. There's no thinking or planning about how their families will provide for their community in their absence. There's no worrying about what to bring or if they are prepared or if they are qualified. There is simply an invitation from Jesus to these high school dropouts that says, come follow me. Can you see that these three words would have meant everything to these boys? Never had a hope of being called by a rabbi, yet one comes along and says, come follow me. It's the highest honour they could receive. One they didn't deserve by the way the world tells them. See, Jesus invited them to come and see and experience and live with him all that he was, all that he said, and all that he would do. Jesus invited them into his story, under his teaching, a story where they saw miracles and the raw, unbridled power of God through healings and miracles, an eternal hope that their lives and the the eternal hope that their nation would have a different story uh, in the end. Three years of seeing the kingdom of God break through, glimpses of heaven come to earth right in the life of Jesus through all he said and did. See, come follow me was an invitation for young teenagers whose only lot in life was to keep catching fish until I couldn't keep catching fish anymore. That was was what their story was going to be. But when Jesus says, come follow me, their entire life is completely transformed. Come follow me is also an invitation into the story where they, they experienced the darkest of nights, the dark night of the soul. When Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. Come follow me wasn't an invitation into a perfect life of these disciples, but it was and still is today an invitation into a life of meaning, of purpose, and of solidarity with the one who was crucified for our sin. But it's also a story where Jesus' resurrection and victory over sin and death changed everything. Cosmically, it changed everything. And they got to see it and be a part of it firsthand. They were there when the darkness of Good Friday burst forth into the hope of Easter Sunday. These guys were fishermen. They were there at the start of the church. (laughs) Acts 4 tells us that was seen as ordinary men. But there is an incredible transformation that happens in their life, all because Jesus said, come follow me. Come follow me is everything for these teenage boys. I think it's important for us just to pause for a second as we grasp the enormity of these words in their life but what it would also mean for our life as well. It's an invitation that exists right here, right now, 
to experience the same life that Jesus calls us into. Come follow me. Come and know the peace that passes all understanding. When a world in your heart is full of anxiety, come and see the world through his eyes, a world of wonder and opportunity to bring the good things of God from heaven to earth right now, that we might all live a little more lightly and a little more freely under his reign and rule. Come and live in the truth that the hardest and darkest moments of our life to know that he walks with us, holding us, calling us, calling us his own and praying for us right now. See, Jesus calls us to follow him. No matter what our own life looks like, no matter what our education levels are, no matter what our story has been, he calls all people of all ages, of all ethnicities, women, men, and children, the elderly, the disabled. He invites us all to come to him by saying, come follow me. There's no strings attached to this. All we have to do is choose to follow the ways, words, and works of Jesus. But there is more to this story than just accepting this invitation for ourselves. After Jesus' resurrection, his last command, it's probably a word we know quite well, uh, his last command to the disciples begin with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Come follow me is not just an invitation to follow him ourselves. It is also a command to do the same for others, for every one of us to say to someone else, come follow him with me. In 1 Corinthians 11, it begins by Paul saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Will you help others take this invitation? Will you say, come follow him with me? We're all here today or we're online today because of an invitation somewhere. Uh, We're probably here because we we might have stumbled across Gateway Online. We might have been invited to the room here by someone who showed us the way, someone who's invited us to come follow Jesus. Uh, And I want to introduce to you today a fantastic woman of God who meant the world to me and invested into my life. This, you'll see on the screen, is a picture of an 18-year-old Bradley and a wonderful woman called Anne Diet, but I only ever called her Mrs. Diet. I first met Mrs. Diet in my grade four RI class. She was a grade four RI teacher. She was about 80-ish, I want to say mid-80s at the time, she taught me RI in grade four. Uh, She had this deep passion uh, to teach kids about the life-changing message of Jesus. You knew you were in for a treat, actually, on RI days when Mrs. Diet would come in and put up an easel, put on a felt board on it, and begin to tell stories with felt characters she herself had created, designed, and cut out. I don't know what she did, but she made the stories of Scripture come alive for me through those little felt characters. I grew up in church hearing the stories from Sunday school, but she would make those stories come alive. She was a storyteller at heart. 
a wonderful woman in her 80s, week in, week out, for decades. She did it for decades, this story of teaching kids. For 30 minutes on a Tuesday at my school in Ipswich, she would teach us the stories of Jesus. Mrs. Diet, but also happened to go to my church. I didn't really know this at the time. Um, she would go to the early service and I would go to the later service because my parents like to sleep in a bit more and we'd go to the, eight, the, the 10 o'clock service. But when we found out that we went to the same church, Mrs. Diet, without fail, week in, week out, year upon year, would come up to me and seek me out from grade four till the day that she passed away at my church. Between the service and look me dead in the eye and say, Bradley, how was your walk with Jesus this week? From, that, from grade four, every week, she was a touchstone of my life and my faith that grew me and shaped me. Now, my, my, when I was younger, my uh, responses were, oh, you're good. But as that, can, that must have sunk deep in me somehow, because every time she would ask the question, the older I got, the more it would change, the more it would evolve in me to having deep discussions about what I'd seen Jesus do in my life and what she'd seen Jesus do in hers, simply by asking, Bradley, how's your faith with Jesus going this week? Something so simple, I put so much of that down to the fact that I'm here today because of something Mrs. Diet did. She put her faith to work by asking one little ragtag rebel kid from Ipswich, how's your faith with Jesus going this week? I went to her house one day uh, for a cup of tea and she regaled me with stories that she actually left Eastern Europe after a war that happened in Eastern Europe and she was a refugee and her family, a number of kids in that family, she was she been really little at the time, no joke, walked across the continent of Asia as a family with all their goods they could take with them in their, on their bags and through a little horse-drawn cart from Eastern Europe all the way across Asia down through the islands of Indonesia and made it to Australia as refugees. She tells me stories or told me stories that she didn't know the language, didn't know anyone in the country, but she had the deep faith, a deep faith in their family that God would provide. They found a community in Ipswich uh, that, that taught them about Jesus and welcomed them in, taught them the language. Mrs. Diet wanted to, because of that welcoming and accepting thing that she found from others who showed her the way, wanted to commit her life to teaching the next generation about Jesus. I remember one time I randomly met her in a, in a car park at Woolies and we walked from the car park together. She would have been stopped, no joke, a, a dozen times by adults who were her RI teacher decades ago and kids who were her RI teachers at that day just to stop and say, hey, Mrs. Diet, we love you. Thank you for investing in me. They'd be showing them all kinds of art they'd done, all kinds of things they'd done. I couldn't believe it. It took us about half an hour just to get into Woolies. She was in her 90s at this stage when she couldn't teach RI anymore. A dark day for Mrs. Diet. <laughs> I'd actually just started teaching RI myself in the local school that year. And on her last day of RI, I went to visit her. And she gave me her felt board and all her felt characters <laughs> to teach the next generation the stories she taught me. I love this woman. She is the reason, one of the reasons I'm here today simply because she decided to say, Bradley, how's your faith going with Jesus this week? She lived an incredible life. She passed away in her early to mid-90s, and Mrs. Diet's funeral was absolutely packed at our church. There was story after story after story of how she had made the Bible come alive for people. Mrs. Diet had grasped something about Jesus that I wanted to emulate with my life. 
She knew the call of her master to come follow me. And she would repeat that phrase with every fiber of her being, with every word she would speak, with every deed she would do to everyone she would meet. Come follow him with me. I'm here today in no small part because of Mrs. Diet. Never underestimate the power of your encouragement for a young person. It is everything to us. It is everything to them. Who are you inviting into your life? Who are you investing into that will shape their destiny for the kingdom of God? Who are you inviting into your life to experience the life-changing, transformation, love, and power of Jesus Christ by saying, come follow him with me? We see a pattern of this encouragement actually throughout the book of Acts. If you flick through Acts, and from around chapter 10, you'll see paragraphs beginning with Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. You'll see it over and over again. See, Barnabas was one of the early church leaders, and he sees something in this new convert, Paul, and decides to take him under his wing and take him on the journey and disciple him and create some leadership skills in this kid and show him the ropes. As they went from town to town preaching the good news, Barnabas would increasingly give Paul opportunities and chances to live out his discipleship and chances to genuinely lead. There's a turning point that comes in chapter 13 of Acts. We're not going to read it, but something shifts. See, Paul leads. He has a deep conviction that the good news of Jesus is not just for the Jews, but for everybody. Something I'm thankful for that he advocated for back then, because we're recipients of that story today. Something shifts in him. It's a big moment where he has a big dream on his heart and God, Barnabas sees it in him and lets him lead it. In his conviction and in his prayer, he takes the lead. He begins to preach this in chapter 13. And from here, something shifts. The church's philosophy shifts, but also we begin to see stories from there that say, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas developed Paul into a leader who is now beginning to take the lead from Barnabas. Eventually, Paul and Barnabas part ways, and Barnabas takes Mark, a new disciple, Mark, under his wing and goes one way, and Paul takes another young disciple called Timothy under his wing and goes a different way. A young, passionate new disciple, and he begins to develop and disciple him and develop leadership skills in this young man, Timothy. See, Paul discipled Timothy and developed him as a leader. While Timothy was commissioned to the church in Ephesus, and Paul had many missionary journeys and even wrote to him in jail, he writes things like this. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, Timothy, so that you may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now also lives in you. For this reason, I'm reminded, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, as the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me as his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This letter written while Paul is in prison simply to encourage a young person in the journey they're taking in Ephesus. 
We get, have a great piece of text in 1 Timothy 4 where Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And this is where all the youth like to stop in the room and go, yeah, don't look down on us because we're young. But he encourages them by saying, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Imagine for a second a young guy in a church who's over his head with trying to figure out how do we actually do this brand new thing called the way of Jesus with a community of believers, getting letters like this, the encouragement, the faith that would have built in his heart. I, I know that when I've gotten letters from people who mentor me or, or have spoken into my life, my heart begins to soar. It would have meant the world to Timothy to hear these words from Paul. See, Jesus invited 12 young leaders to follow him. He invested in their life and their leadership and sent them out with his encouragement to make disciples of all nations. And in the next generation of the church, Paul invested into young leaders like Timothy who courageously shared the gospel in a brand new place in a dangerous world. Paul invited Timothy to serve and to lead. He invested into his life and leadership and he encouraged him to persevere in fulfilling God's eternal purposes. See, this pattern of invitation, investment, and encouragement is the pattern that's gone down through the generations of church history. And today it's our turn. It's our turn in this corner of the kingdom to do the same, to raise tomorrow's leaders. At Gateway, we are committed to raising the next generation of young leaders, of Christ-centered leaders. Our generation's ministries do a phenomenal job of this. They, they really do. They do an incredible job of investing into kids, youth, and young adults. But you don't have to wear a green shirt to invest into a kid's life. Actually, in fact, I would argue that we shouldn't just leave it up to people in green shirts and black shirts who minister to our kids, youth, and young adults. All of us, every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching online today has a responsibility to say, come follow me with him to someone of the next generation. You have a lifetime of wise reflections on Scripture. You have a lifetime of revelations of God to speak into their own experiences, your own learnings to speak into their life. Even from mistakes in your past, you have things of worth to share to those coming behind you. Our generations here at Gateway are crying out to hear from you. They are crying out to hear from you and your wisdom and your faith, just as I was crying out to hear from Mrs. Diet. That's why one of our five values at Gateway is we raise tomorrow's leaders. There are so many things we could value as part of the church. It's true. But raising a generation of courageous young followers of Jesus is part of our DNA. Right back from Edwin Keith purchased that little hall for us to be sent out as a church plant. It's why it's one of our core five values today because it's part of who we are. Down through the years, 
every senior pastor, every staff member, every pastor member, every uh, volunteer leader on Team Gateway has a heart in their DNA to raise the next generation of leaders. Why? Because we need a generation that is on fire for Jesus. We cannot and must not lose sight of this. That's why it's one of our five core values. Whose life are you investing into in this next generation? How can you encourage, inspire, equip, care for in this next generation? Giving the keys of the kingdom to future generations is what we have to be about because it grows the kingdom and helps us to grow young as a church. In their fantastic book, I can highly recommend it, Growing Young, incredibly well-researched piece of uh, encouragement to us from the Fuller Institute in the US. Uh, They unpack six essential strategies to help a church grow young instead of grow old. Uh, And there are six things that every person in our church and in every church can do to ensure that we are raising the next generation. I'm going to quickly go through them. The first one is, um, number one is unlocking keychain leadership. And this basically means giving young people a genuine opportunity to serve and lead and grow in their discipleship. This doesn't mean sending them off to kids and youth on a Sunday. It means for us to invest in them and show them the way. And it also means that realizing that young people have so much to give and so much uh, to add so much to our church, more service, more passion, more hope, more people, more of their friends coming to see Jesus, more innovation, more money, more creativity. We have to empower a generation to reach their generation. We need to emphasize emphasize, uh, with today's young people. It can be so easy for us to criticize them for their taste in music, the way they dress, uh, their lack of faith, how their morals might be slipping. But this is confronting, if we're honest. Every generation is a product of the generation before. I wonder, instead of lamenting or criticizing, we need to step in and empathize and invest in the next generation. Number three, we have to take Jesus' message seriously. One of the reasons the next generation hasn't heard the good news of Jesus is because we probably haven't taken that call as seriously as we possibly can. I say this with all the love and conviction that I can muster. If we're not making disciples, we're not really a disciple. We're called to be disciples who make disciples. We have to welcome young people into a Jesus-centered way of life by doing exactly what Jesus called us to do in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples ourselves and invite them in the story. Number four, we need to fuel a warm community. See, authenticity is the new relevant. And I love that our church here is not aiming to be relevant, but we are aiming to be authentic. We are a little bit daggy. If you look, like, we'll look around this place a bit, we're a little bit daggy. I know that I'm not the epitome of cool, that's for sure. I love that we are authentic people of Jesus. And for young people, this is everything. Uh, they, they want to be cre- uh, feel part of a warm community where intergenerational friendships like me and Mrs. Diet exist, are formed and flourish. Number five, I'm rocketing through these, but number five is we have to be the best neighbours. We have to model what Jesus said when he said, love your neighbour as yourself. You have to show the next generation how to do that locally and globally beyond these four walls. And number six, and this is probably the hardest one, One that we always get most fight back from and most churches get most fight back from is that we have to prioritise young people and families everywhere. And I'm going to hear this criticism. 
What about me? What about the elderly? What about my needs? What about the way that I need to be welcomed into this community as well, prioritise my faith? I want to say that I hear that. I really hear that today. And as a church, we believe that we want to value the ones, and Tim's going to be preaching on this next week, and we hear more about that. But for us as his people, we have a generation coming up behind us uh, that has never heard the gospel. There's a generation growing up in a community that has never heard the gospel. There's a spiritual war going on for the control of the hearts and minds of the next generation. They're searching for meaning more than ever before. And largely, they're not hearing that better story from us. They're hearing it from social media. They're getting their worldview, their theology, their ethics. Uh, They're getting everything they need from the world by social media and what is out there on screens. Why? Because our generation hasn't showed up to raise them as leaders. Sounds harsh. In my previous role under another denomination, I had the privilege of leading the generation's ministry across the state. I would get to travel week in, week out and hear stories from kids, youth and young adult pastors about what's going on in their church. But sadly, in that denomination and in every denomination across Australia, there are churches shutting their doors. Why? Because the vast majority of them have one thing in common. They've stopped raising the next generation of young leaders. They've started living and meeting for themselves rather than entrusting the keys of the kingdom to those coming behind them. See, to grow young, we have to invest in young people and families right now. I'm choosing to spend my life encouraging, training, equipping, mobilising, praying for, serving, and even laying down my own leadership for the next generation of women, men and kids to lead God's kingdom in the future. We need to raise a new generation of leaders to reach a new generation of disciples. See, if we show up and raise the next generation of leaders, we'll see a generation of young people filled with the Holy Spirit, with every spiritual gift, uh, building and edifying the church. We'll see, we see this at 6 p.m. beginning already. If we show up, We'll see a generation of young people whose hearts are burning with passion to see their friends, their families know the life-changing message of Jesus. They'll be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If we, if we show up, we'll see a generation who are artists and creatives, worshipping God in creative and new ways, exalting Him and leading others to come to know Him. We'll see young people practising traditions of their faith with humility and reverence and building deep connections to their Father deep connections to the divine. If we show up for young people, we will see them saying yes to investing back into the kingdom of God, investing back as life group leaders. There will be authentic communities of God with more dedicated, deeply caring, biblically robust young leaders than ever before. We'll see people whose hearts are gripped with the power of prayer, whose hunger and thirst for His presence. We'll see young people investing into the kingdom, caring for one another, caring for the poor, caring for those who, and those who hunger and thirst after His presence. We'll see them at the four, sent to the four corners of the earth where every cry of injustice is loud and every, every song of the oppressed is loud. We'll see them sent. We'll see them like an army willing to serve God wherever it takes to the ends of the earth. We need to raise a new generation of leaders who break new ground for the kingdom of God to reach a new generation of disciples and advance God's kingdom in this uncertain age. Do you believe that today? We need to raise a young generation 
to reach a young generation. And to do this, we have to invest in them today, right now, with your life, with your time, with your energy, with our prayer. See, the power of your prayer is everything to a young person. So we're about to worship and we're going to invite our kids and youth back in in a minute because we're going to pray for them. But I want to ask this one question to us as we prepare for that. Who's your one up and who's your two down? By this, I mean, who in your life is the one person you look up to? For me, it was Mrs. Diet. It's been other people across my journey. Who's the one up that you can look to? This is that person showed me the way. That person invested into me. Think about that person right now. Is there one person in your life who's done that for you? Think of them. Maybe you want to write them a text message or give them a call this week. Write them a letter. Encourage them and let them tell them what they have done for you in your own journey. And if you can't think of anyone right now, or if that person is no longer around for you to reach out to, think about those in your life right now who might be your one up. But also, who's your two down? Who are the two people who are younger than you in age or faith that you can invest into by opening your life to them, opening Scripture to them, opening them to encourage them? Who are two people that you can invest into right now today in your family, in your life, in our church, that you can invest into today to help them see and ask them, how is your walk with Jesus this week? Come follow Him with me. And if you can't think of someone right now, ask God while we sing to show you to reveal to you people in your family, your street, your church, wherever wherever it is you live, work and laugh with people. Invite them in. Who's your one up? Who's your two down? We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.